Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome to Resurrection City Church. My name is Julie Stegman, and I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, and I have to say, I'm really excited to be here worshiping with you guys this morning. I'm also really excited because I've never gotten to wear one of these, like, I don't know what the technical name of this mic is called while I'm teaching. I always call it a Britney mic in honor of Britney Spears. Okay, I've got some people. So I'm feeling a little bit like a 90s pop star this morning, um, but I will do my best not to break out into song and dance um, because we are here to talk about Ephesians this morning. So if you're visiting with us or if you're new, we are in a sermon series on the book of Ephesians. Um, and the book of Ephesians is its fun because it's not actually a book, it's a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. Um, and one thing I always like to do to help myself remember that this book was a letter written at a specific time, a specific place, is look up where it was written to. So I'm not great with geography, um, but this map gives us a little picture of where Ephesus was. So it's in modern day Turkey, kind of right uh, on the coast there in Asia Minor. And one of the things about Ephesians is that it was written probably first to the church in Ephesus, but then it was also thought to have been circulated to other churches in the area. So that's why in a lot of ways, it can feel very applicable to the church even today. And it's one of the reasons we decided to start out with this book. So, all right, we're gonna dive in. We're gonna talk about Ephesians 1, 15 through 23 today. So if you have your Bible, you can open up to Ephesians 1, or if you're going the electronic route, you can pull out your phone. Um, I will not be mad if you're on your phone because while we do have Wi-Fi here, it's a school, so they block social media. <laughs> Don't ask me how I know that. Um, all right, so a quick recap from last week. Paul has spent some time praising God for the spiritual blessings that we've received in Christ. Uh, and now he's going to switch to start praising God for the people of the church. So starting out in verse 15, he says, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So Paul is thankful, he says, for the faith and the love that the church has for all of God's people. And that might seem like a pretty standard thing to say, uh, but the reason or the fact that he says all of God's people is kind of a big deal. Because at this point, the, the two people groups, the Jews and the Gentiles, are still pretty divided. Uh, and Paul's going to get into talking more about unity as this letter goes on. He's going to really pick up that theme. So I'm not quite sure uh, if he's doing one of those like teacher tricks where you call out the people who are doing the good thing. Like, oh, look, Jimmy is sitting all quietly with his hands folded on his desk when the rest of the class is like complete chaos. Uh, but either way, he is honestly thankful for the people who are doing this, who are showing faith and love to all of God's people. And then he switches from thanking God for the people to praying for them. So we're going to keep moving through. He, uh, in verse 17, says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So what is he asking God to do? First, he asks that the church would be given a spirit of wisdom and revelation. So clearly, there's something that he wants the church to do that needs to be inspired by the spirit. It has to be something outside of them that's going to help them do this. And then he goes on, and he asks that the church would know God better. 
And this struck me this week. I think, had you given me a uh, fill-in-the-blank slide with that word left blank that you may something God better, I don't know if I would have picked the word no. Uh, I think maybe I would have gone with love. There's a lot of like, love the Lord your God with all your heart. There's a lot of focus on the word love. Uh, but Paul picks the word no here. So why, why would he do that? Uh, I think that Jen Wilkin in one of her books gives a good answer to why knowing God matters. And she says that the heart cannot love what the mind does not know. And this is something that we probably can think of in everyday life, right? When you fall in love with someone, you get there by spending a lot of time with them. You get to know them. You start to learn what are the things they care about? What are the weird things that they do that you find endearing? Um, or even if you're just getting to know a friend, right? Like you have to go through that phase of learning about the person before you can really have that type of relationship. And so Paul seems to think there's a correlation between knowing God uh, and actually then loving him. And when you look more closely at the word know in the original language, the word that Paul uses here, uh, it's not just the regular word for know, which would be gnosis. It's one of those tricky words with the silent G-N, like gnome or something like that. Um, but he uses a different word. He uses epignosis, uh, which is a real deep, full knowledge or a thorough knowledge. So there's something extra about this. It's like an, I don't know if it's just because it says epi, it makes me think like it's an epic knowledge of who God is. And that's what Paul wants for the people. And so as I was thinking about like, what's the difference between this epignosis and the regular gnosis, I had a few things that came to mind as examples. So one of them, if you've ever studied a language, you will understand and relate to this one. Um, I studied French uh, in college. I technically am fluent. I took the little test you have to take and got the line in my transcript, but yeah, I'm probably, that's not the case anymore. Um, but I studied the language and the grammar. Uh, I could hold conversations with people in class. I could even write papers in French. And then I lived in France for six weeks. And wow, did I realize I did not know French. <laughs> Trying to hold a conversation with someone who's a native speaker of the language while I'm like frantically trying to conjugate verbs in my head <laughs> was very different than having a conversation with someone in class. Uh, while I lived there, I gained a thorough knowledge of French because I was immersed in it. I experienced it every day. I lived it. So there's something about living it or having those experiences that seem to give us a deeper knowledge about something, that epignosis. Or let's take another example, driver's ed. Um, I'm not sure exactly how it works in Minnesota because I grew up in Wisconsin, but in Wisconsin you have to take a six-week class before you can like get your permit or do any of the student driver stuff. And so, you know, you watch the old videos that were probably made in the 80s or maybe even earlier, you take the quizzes on what street signs mean. You um, Technically, you learn how to drive. You could say, I know how to drive. But if you're given the choice uh, of getting in the car with someone who just finished up their six-week driver's ed class and has never actually been behind the wheel, or with someone who's been driving for 10 years, which one are you going to choose? <laughs> There's a difference in experiencing something. You learn a deeper knowledge of it when you actually have to live it and do it. And that's what Paul wants for the Ephesians. He wants them to have a deep, thorough knowledge of God. 
that's different from just a, a head knowledge. So if I had to summarize what I think Paul is saying here, uh, I would say that he wants, to, wants them to learn about God, but then he also wants them to put it into practice or to experience it. So we're going to come back to that a little bit later, but we're going to keep moving through the text. Uh, and Paul continues this idea of knowing God by saying in verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Okay, so that first line, uh, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, might sound a little strange to us, might sound like something you'd hear in yoga class or something that's a little new agey, um, but it actually would have made total sense to the Ephesians. For them, the heart, they considered that like the core of your being, the very center of existence. Uh, they viewed the heart as the place where all of your intellect was, it's where you made your decisions, where you stored your memories, all that kind of stuff. Very similar to how we think about the brain now, right? It sounds very normal to us. If you had said something like, I pray that your mind would be opened, we probably wouldn't have batted an eye. So I, I think that's kind of what Paul's trying to get at here, that their mind would be opened uh, to these different things. And he prays for three things. He says, the hope to which you've been called, the riches of his glorious inheritance, both of those things we've kind of talked about in the last two weeks, the hope, the spiritual blessings that we've been called to, that we've been given, uh, and that we will have as an inheritance. And then he really narrows in on this last one, which he says, his incomparably great power for us who believe. So he goes on, he's going to keep talking about that power for the rest of this little passage. He says uh, that that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. So there's clearly something about this power that Paul wants us to pay attention to. It's the only thing in the list he elaborates on. Uh, and then he goes on, and if you look at the original language, he uses four different words for power in one verse. <laughs> so it's basically like he went to a, th a thesaurus and thought, hmm, I shouldn't say the same thing over and over. Google power, what else comes up? What can I say? Uh, so if you look at the, uh, this is the NASV version, it's a different translation. Uh, he gives the four different things, I've highlighted them for us. So. That first word, power, that's the word that we get dynamite from. I'm not going to attempt to say the original language because I, I don't know it. Um, but that's just, yeah, this like, idea of raw power or strength. It's kind of explosive power. And then the second one is uh, working. So it's in accordance with the working. And that's the word that we get energy from. So it has this idea of like an inward propulsion or an inward power, kind of like a motor keeping something running. And then you get... Uh, great, or the strength, which is ability to conquer, that one's pretty straightforward, and then might, which is physical force. So if you're reading scripture, or really if you're reading anything, anytime someone starts repeating things, it's usually a sign that you should pay attention. They're trying to get your attention to notice something. And so Paul is saying that this incomparably great power that is for us, or some translations say toward us, uh, is something that we need to know. We need to both learn about it and then also put it into practice or experience it. So he goes on to give some more examples of how this power works. So first of all, he says, this is, it's the power that raises Jesus from the dead. It's the power of the resurrection. 
Uh, and for people who have been in the church or maybe, you know, you've heard all the Bible stories over and over again, you might just breeze right past this, right? It's like, yep, Easter, okay, move on. Uh, but we, I think we need to stop and pause and realize that the fact that Jesus rose from the dead is a miracle. It's supernatural. It does not happen every day. We do not have the power to raise someone from the dead. Jesus was completely dead, and then he was alive again. I know I think we are like, yeah, well, we have, you know, science and medical things. That doesn't seem as far-fetched, but we have to realize it is. It's crazy. It's a supernatural miracle that that happened. And if you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, yeah, you know, like I, I'm interested in Christianity or, you know, I'm just here because someone invited me. But miracles, that's, that's a little much, right? Like we have science. Miracles don't happen. Uh, I really want to invite you to wrestle through the, the idea that maybe it had happened. Or at least the fact that there was a whole group of people who truly believed that this happened and that it, it did a lot of crazy things in history. It mobilized them and pulled them together to form this group that we now know as the church. Uh, it totally changed their worldviews overnight. There were tons of things that would have seemed completely far-fetched for the Jews that someone could be raised from the dead in this way. And yet they believed it. And so I think if you're asking these questions or thinking, like, there's no way that that could have happened, I really encourage you to wrestle with that. And we're going to talk more about it later, but uh, I want us to stop and pause and realize that the power of the resurrection is a big deal. It is crazy that Jesus was raised from the dead. All right. Uh, we're going to keep moving on to the second thing that Paul kind of highlights about God's power. And the second thing is that uh, it's the power that makes Jesus king. So in the verses, it says that Jesus is seated at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And when the original readers would have heard this, they probably would have thought back to different verses in the Old Testament. They had a pretty good knowledge of just the different psalms and Old Testament passages, that there would have been little light bulbs going off for them. This reminds me of something I know. And one of those things would have been Psalm 110. It says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And this is one of those Old Testament places where it's, it's talking about the coming Messiah. It's talking about the great power that raised Christ and sat him in the heavenly realms. And the people of God had been waiting for this to happen. They had been waiting for someone who deserved to be seated at that special spot at the right hand. Someone who was worthy for the power to save them. And Jesus didn't get, like, elected king just because, you know, he made a bunch of promises about the changes he would make and the things he wanted to see happen. And people were like, yeah, I'm going to vote for that person because he's got a lot of good things to say. He was installed as king because he already made good on all those promises. He already won. Uh, this Again, you've got a lot of repetition. Paul really likes his repetition in this passage. He mentions the rule, authority, power, dominion, and title that Christ is above all of those things. He has conquered and defeated all of them. And in case you were wondering if there's anything else that Paul missed, uh, there's a commentary I read by a guy named Klein Snodgrass. Sorry, man, that's not a good name to have. Uh, at least not in elementary school, I'm guessing. Uh, but he says that every title that can be given, that phrase that Paul uses, is literally every name being named. 
with this phrase, Paul was trying to be inclusive, as if to say, if there's anything else there, it too is subjected to Christ. So it's basically like a catch-all. Paul was like, hey, in case I missed anything, in case there are any like new things that people think are really powerful or really cool, all of them are under Christ too. They're all under his feet. And this image is one of him like sitting down and putting his feet up as if it's already accomplished. You don't sit down and put your feet up until you're done with something, right? Um, so I don't know if Jesus wants socks like this. I think I want a pair of socks that says, if you can read this, bring me chocolate. Um, but yeah, he's sitting down. He's got his feet up. He is done with this work. He is made good on the promises and has been installed as king. Uh, okay, so then lastly, this, the other thing that this power does that Paul mentions here is that it's the power that fuels the church. So it says Christ is established as the head over the church, and then the church is the body. So the body is the one that has to go out and do these things, right? So this power is what fuels the church. Ephesians 1, and 23 says, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And that last line is a little tricky. Um, there's lots of people who believe different things about what this is saying. Uh, but if you read it, uh, some people would read it saying that it's the church is being filled by the fullness of Christ who also fills everything. It just gets like the full fillness. It gets a little complicated. But they would call that a passive reading because the church is the one that's being filled. It's not like actively doing something. And then another way to read it is more the active reading. And that's the idea that the church is the fullness of Christ. So that in that reading, the church is somehow filling, doing the action of Christ. And I tend to read it as a combination of both. Because I would say, you know, the, fillness of, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way is both a combination of active and passive. The church must first be filled passively by Christ so that it can fulfill actively Christ's mission. And I think this is the rest of the way that the book of Ephesians plays out. Uh, if you remember from the first week, Joel had broken up the book of Ephesians into five different sections. Um, we started out this first, we're kind of wrapping up the first one, this plan of grace. And you can see Paul start to transition now to this next idea of new life in Christ. There seems to be a transition from all the things that God has done and is doing now to what we are called to do in response to that. Uh, and that's going to continue to play out through the rest of the book of Ephesians. But as we kind of wrap up today, I want us to think about, oh, hold on, I've got one more thing. Um, yeah, I just was thinking this week, I, this is kind of lame, but they'll quote the, with great power comes great responsibility. That's just like kept coming to my mind. And it, <laughs> the thing about this quote is that everyone thinks it's from Spider-Man, right? But it's not. It's not from Spider-Man. They totally took it. It was an old dead French guy who said it named Voltaire. But anyways, I found this image and I thought it was funny just showing the, the problems of misquoting things. Um, but I think the idea is true, right? This incomparable power of God has been given to us in Christ. And what are, the question is, what are we going to do with it? Uh, as Joel had said a couple weeks ago, we are blessed not so that we can just hang out in the club of the blessed, but so that we can go out and be a blessing to others. And so, like I said, we're going to see that play out a lot more in the book of Ephesians. We're really going to switch to kind of what does that mean then for the church and for our relationships and all these different things. But I want us to put, take some time to really think about what does that mean for our lives today? What can this passage do um, for us as we go out this week?
So I've got a few points of application. Uh, one is just, again, that we would know God better, right? That's the main thing that Paul prays for here. So my question for you is, do you need to focus more on the learning side of things or more on the putting into practice side of things? And I think that we tend to prefer one or the other of these at different times in our lives. I'm not going to put you in a box and say you always are one way or the other. Um, but I think at different times, we, we tend to lean towards one or the other. Uh, some of us might be doers. Uh, you might live for this part of the sermon. You might be like, okay, I'm kind of snoozing. Oh, hey, application, I'm going to pay attention. Um, or maybe you're the type that's like, why would I read the instructions when I can just start putting the furniture together and just figure it out as I go? That drives me nuts. Joel and I are not allowed to put furniture together because we have very different philosophies on that. Um, but it's not a bad thing. If you are a doer, that is not a bad thing. I think it's great uh, that God has given you a spirit to want to go and do those things. But I do believe that what Jen Wilkins said is true. You can't love what you don't know. God gave us his word and his people so that we could get to know him. And I think if we really say we want to become more like him, we want to be more like Christ, we need to know who he is. So whether you are, have been there before, you went to Christian college, you've heard the stories, um, or whether you are new to the Bible and are just intimidated of, I don't know where to start. I don't know where to jump in. How do I learn more about God? Uh, I'd encourage you this week to take a step towards doing that. And maybe that means participating in a Bible study, one of the things that we've got coming up here. Or maybe that means just looking at your calendar this week and putting in, mark it off, times that you're going to spend in Scripture learning about God. Or honestly, otherwise, if you need help getting started, don't be afraid to, to reach out. You can ask me or Joel or someone in your community group. Uh, we'd love to help you get started in that. On the other hand, if you are someone who loves to learn uh, if, you, if you're like me, you have, um, in the world of strength finders, if you have learner, intellection, and input all in your top five, uh, you might fall into this camp. You really like to learn. You like to take in information. Uh, I was talking to a neighbor this week who said that her dream job would be something where she could listen to podcasts and audiobooks all day. Anyone else relate to that? <laughs> Um, and that's great. There's so much information out there now for us to take in. And I don't think we should take for granted the fact that we have access to God's word. Years ago, before the printing press was invented, that was not the case. People did not have Bibles that they could pick up and read. So I want to say that's a good thing in the same way that being a doer is a good thing. But I also want to push you to go out and put that into practice. Because I promise you that you will learn more of who God is. You will experience it on a deeper level when you go out and, and work it out in love. You work your faith out in what you're doing. You have to experience the things that God calls us to do. You're probably learning if you're taking in scripture, if you're taking in podcasts or different things, probably talking about the call that we have as believers in our lives and what we need to do. Things like going out and sharing the gospel, to make disciples, to act out justice, to be hospitable. Putting these things into practice will give you a deeper experience of who God is. So I don't know what that is for you this week. Maybe that means inviting a friend or a neighbor over for dinner. Maybe that means sharing the love of Christ or just sharing about your church family with your coworkers. Maybe it means getting involved in the community, finding somewhere to volunteer or help out. But whatever it is, I encourage you to think about what that could be this week. 
Because both of these things, learning and putting into practice, are important, as we learned from that last verse in Ephesians. Uh, we need to be filled with Christ so that we can be a part of fulfilling Christ's mission. My friend Shannon likes to use the sponge analogy when she talks about this idea, uh, because a dry sponge you can't really do a whole lot with, right? It's not super effective at cleaning things. It has to be filled with water before it can do its job of cleaning. And that's kind of the same way, right? We need to be filled with Christ so that we can be a part of Christ's mission. So if that sponge analogy is helpful for you, think about that this week. Do you need to be filled, or do you need to go out and do some cleaning? All right, so the second thing that I want to look at for application has to do with that piece of God's power that Paul really focuses in on. So first of all, I just want to ask, do you believe in the resurrection? As I mentioned before, there's a lot of things to really wrestle with when it comes to this question, and we want you to know that this is a safe place to do that. Uh, You do not have to have it all figured out to come to church here. In fact, we would love to have those conversations with you. Um, We are going to be starting something in March where once a month we're just going to have a place for a group of people to come get together and talk about what they believe, what they don't believe, and why that is. So we'll be meeting either at a coffee shop or a brewery or something like that, but it's just going to be a place to talk about these big questions of faith uh, that you might have. Because this is a question that's worth figuring out the answer to. Because if it's true, if Jesus was raised from the dead, that's a game changer. That changes everything. And if it's not true, then what are we doing here? (laughs) We might as well pack up and go home. And we do believe that it's true. And we believe that there's an incomparably great power that raised Christ from the dead. And that that power is available to you today, too. So if you're thinking about that, I encourage you to keep wrestling. Um, And if you choose to, to accept that power, to accept it for yourself and choose to follow Christ as your Savior and your Lord. All right, and then the next question, the last question is, do you believe that God's power is incomparable? I'll admit, this is the part that I really wrestled with this week. I really struggled with answering this question because in my everyday life, I honestly feel pretty powerless. Uh, There's lots of circumstances or different things that come up that feel like I have no control over this. I feel completely helpless. I feel limited by different things. Um, And I think that you can probably relate to that. I've talked to many of you, and I know that sometimes our circumstances can just feel so big. (laughs) They feel like they just take up all of our space to think or to do anything. They feel like they're in control over us. Uh, And those circumstances can be a variety of things, right? A lot of you know I struggle with chronic pain, and some days the pain feels like it's so big and loud in my life that I can't hear or see anything beyond that. I know for other people, maybe it's anxiety or mental health. Maybe it's loneliness. Maybe it's some sin struggle that you've really been fighting against for a long time. It just feels like it's so big. And honestly, it can be good things too, right? Like maybe it's the pressures of a new job. It's a new job you really wanted and it's a great thing, but there's a lot to learn and it can really feel like it takes over your life. Or maybe it's a new baby. Great thing, but again, changes your life in a huge way and presents big circumstances that feel like they have a lot of power over our daily lives. But the honest truth is that they don't. God's power is greater than all of our circumstances. And I'm not saying that what you are dealing with uh, isn't a big deal or that you shouldn't work on it or try to seek help for whatever those circumstances are. But I am saying is that those things do not rule you. 
They do not get the last say. They do not define you. We have God's power available to us, even in those difficult circumstances. But how does that work? What does it actually look like? Uh, sometimes when I'm watching a TV series where I've gotten really invested in the characters, I will actually look up spoilers. And I know that that's like a big no-no for some people. Um, and I even, yeah, I even will give Joel a hard time sometimes for spoilers. But uh, for me, it's kind of like if I get really invested, I, I wanna know like, is it gonna be worth it in the end to keep investing in this? <laughs> Can I still trust the writer of this show? Like, do I want to keep investing time in seeing how this is gonna turn out? And I think in some ways, our, the power of God that's available to us is that we know the end of the story. We have the spoiler of all spoilers. We know that Jesus wins, that sin and death are defeated, and that we will eventually experience new life and everyone and everything around us will be restored. And knowing that takes the tension out of our unresolved, difficult circumstances. It gives us the truth that while our circumstances may feel big and powerful, they don't get the last word. Our circumstances don't define us because Jesus has given his life as a sacrifice to do that instead. So I'm going to leave you with these verses from Revelation 21. Truly the spoiler of all spoilers. Uh, it's from chapter 21, verses 3 through 7. It says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them to be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost, from the spring of life, or from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. This is our inheritance. <laughs> this is the power of God that is for us. This is the power of God that Paul wants us to know and to experience. So we are going to transition to a time of communion now. Um, and this is really a time to respond to the sacrifice that Jesus made in dying on the cross so that end it, this ending in Revelation could be possible, that we could have this power and this promise of new life. And during this time, you can respond to God in a lot of different ways. We're going to be singing uh, worships. So you can respond through that. Um, we also believe that giving is a response to God, and so if you would like to give, there's a box in the back, that brown wooden box, um, if you'd like to give physical money, or if you are prefer to give online, you can do that as well. On our welcome cards, there's information on how to do that. Um, and then communion is the other thing that we'll be doing. So all we ask is that if you are someone who believes in Christ, believes that he is who he says he is, uh, and you accept him as Lord and Savior of your life, then you can come forward and take communion with us. So before we do that, uh, let's pray. Lord, I pray today, as Paul did in Ephesians, I pray that uh, you would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation to know God better, to trust and believe in his power, and to experience it in our daily lives through remembering the truth that you have already won, that we have a promise of new life and resurrection. 
Lord, I pray that uh, we would just go out and live in light of that this week, that we would not be consumed by our circumstances, but that we would trust in your power. In your name we pray. Amen.